0: This is the Statman Sports Podcast, where we keep topics in context. This is your host, Steve Duffus, who is still wondering why the Seahawks didn't run the ball. It's a beautiful day to talk sports, baby. Welcome to episode number 11 of the Statman Sports Podcast. This is your host, Steve Duffus. Man, since the last episode, a lot has gone on in the sports world, especially this past weekend. Jimmy Butler officially traded to the Philadelphia 76ers, and that's something we're going to talk about this episode. Tyson Chandler, he was picked up by the Lakers, which is a great pickup for the Lakers because uh, we all know they've been struggling on defense, and Tyson Chandler brings an immense 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 trait to that team which will help them in the long run also in the world of soccer football Lionel Messi returned to Barcelona even though they lost over the weekend to Real Betis he looked really well and that should give Barcelona spark man guys a lot a lot has happened a lot of things we want to talk about today like I mentioned we're going to talk about Jimmy Butler we're going to talk about the Saints dominance over the past half season already in the NFL, and. We're also going to cover a particular topic, topic which I'm not going to give away right now. You're going to wait for that. Listen to the episode that we're going to discuss that. And that's something I think you guys will enjoy a lot. For those of you who are first time listeners, welcome to this episode. We also want to thank you for supporting this podcast. And with no further ado, guys, let's just get right into it. Wait, what are you talking about, bro? Huh? What are you talking about, man? Whoa! What? <laughs> Bro, what are you talking about, man? Jimmy Butler finally got traded away from the Minnesota Timberwolves. But the real question is: Is that really what Jimmy Butler wanted to end up in the Eastern Conference, to be in a contending team? Of course. You know, logic will tell you why wouldn't you want to be in a contending team. But the story is more to that with Jimmy Butler, guys. Jimmy Butler is one of those guys, he guys, he mesmerizes teams. And based on his history in Chicago and obviously his past team, Minnesota, there has been some negativity coming out the locker rooms. And for me, I have some thoughts about this trade. Initially, when I saw it, I said, well, the Minnesota Timberwolves got worse. And the Philadelphia 76ers got better. So let's just put this in uh, perspective for a bit. So, Jimmy Butler got traded for Robert Covington, Dario Saric, Jared Bayless, and a 2022 second round pick. In my estimation, that's not much. But then, if you look deep down in the numbers, Robert Covington has been averaging 13.5 points, well, rather 12.9 points a game in his five seasons in Philly. And Dario Saric is the one who's been averaging 13.5 points for the Sixers in the past three seasons. Now, if you bundle that together, you say that's 14-13. That's 27 points between two players for Jimmy Butler and obviously Jared Bealess. And you don't know what the 2022 second round pick is going to be. So if you put that in perspective, it looks like a great deal. Jimmy Butler, he himself, he is averaging this season alone... This season alone Jimmy Butler's averaging 21.3, 5 rebounds and 4 assists, he's shooting about 47% and 37 from 3. So that's pretty good. Even though all the turmoil has been going on in Minnesota, he's been playing really well. The question around Jimmy Butler has always been his questionable leadership because he's always talking about dudes just need to want it more. Of course, Those of us who have played basketball and I've played basketball, I would say, my entire life. You tend to get a little bit disheartened and agitated when when you're giving your all and guys are not giving it. But there's another way of showing people or teaching them how to just perform better instead of just calling them out every second. And that was Jimmy Butler's problem. Now, at the beginning of the segment, the question was, is this really what Jimmy Butler wanted? You know, reading through reports... Some executive was saying that Jimmy Butler really got what he wanted because he wanted to get traded to a team that would be contending, obviously. That's one. Two, he's playing now in the Eastern Conference, which is, for the past couple of years, the weaker conference in the NBA. So, most likely the 76ers would be at minimum in the top four in the Eastern Conference. So, he'll be playing in the playoffs. And, he'll be playing alongside two All-Stars and Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid. Now the Sixers made the playoffs and they made it pretty far in the playoffs last year without Jimmy Butler. So in my estimation, Jimmy Butler is on the leash. To me, this trade is more like, all right, Jimmy, you came over here. You want this big contract that you've been asking for, even though you've been having these knee surgeries over the years. But in reality, if we look at it this way, the Sixers already have two of the, Two of the top 15 guys in the league. And now they added Jimmy Butler, who is in the top 20 in the league. And in comparison to Golden State, who have, you know, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, who are arguably the best at their positions. The Sixers now are a real contender, assuming Jimmy Butler plays along the rules. And that's the thing. Like I said, on other teams, Jimmy didn't really play along that well. He always wanted to be that guy to speak his mind, to say how things are, but he didn't really necessarily, like, take it a step back. And on Philly, he will get the blame. Just like we're in Carmelo Anthony right now in Houston, he's becoming a scapegoat. We know, we know for sure that Carmelo's not really the problem in Houston. They have other problems, but when teams try to find a issue and try to point fingers when things are going wrong they're going to find a guy that's easy to target and now that jimmy's on philly he's going to be the guy that the fingers will be pointed at when things don't go right because like i said the sixers have won 47 games over the past year so they they were doing okay so this is what's going to need to happen if philly Make it to the playoffs. Jimmy Butler is going to be required to be that guy from night to night. I'm not saying he can't be that. He has done that for Minnesota from time to time. And the difference between Minnesota and the Philadelphia 76ers. In Minnesota, Tom Thibodeau didn't use Carl Anthony Towns as much. They didn't run the offense through him and that's baffling. And Philly, they run the offense through Ben Simmons and mainly and through Joel Embiid. And you can tell, look at Joel Embiid's numbers. Over the past, like, what, five, six games, Joel's been averaging 13, uh, 30 points, sorry, 30 points and almost 15 rebounds a game. The man is ridiculous. So Jimmy needs to come in and be, for a little bit, the third guy. And that is what it's going to take. And based on everything I've told you guys based on his character, the type of leadership he has shown on on previous teams, is he really going to take a step back and be the guy that Philadelphia needs him to be at this moment? It's going to be interesting to see, but I'm very intrigued, right, to, to see what Jimmy Butler is going to be able to do. Jimmy is a pretty good player, and he's going to help them, especially in a half court. Because as of today of this recording, November 12th, 2018 the philadelphia 76ers are ranked 21st in points per possession that's a very advanced stat which i will explain on some other time but that's pretty low for a team that have now three all-stars jimmy butler is going to help them immensely to perform better in a half court because when it comes to playoff time that's all it's going to be you won't be able to run up and down the court like they do now in the regular season and they're going to need jimmy butler to put some buckets in and So far, Marquez Foltz was supposed to be the third guy for the Sixers, but he's not really doing anything for them that you would say that teams would be scared of. Now you have a legitimate threat in Jimmy where you can give him the ball when things don't go right and he can get you a bucket. And you was able to tell that in his last game when they played the Los Angeles Lakers when Jimmy was still on Minnesota. Uh, he was getting buckets after buckets. His range was there. His mid-range was there. You know, he had his free throws, three-pointers. Everything everything was on point. But, but in Philadelphia, things are different. You're going to be required to move a lot. You're going to be required to defend. And Jimmy is, in my estimation, along with Kawhi Leonard, the two best 1-2 players in the league. He can play very well offensively, and he can defend very well. To me, Jimmy Butler is like a top-five defender. So Philly... Is getting a good bargain here. And all Jimmy Butler needs to do is be on his best behavior. I'm excited to see what the Sixers are going to be now. Uh, Jimmy is going to be playing on Tuesday. He's going to make his debut for the Sixers. So you guys need to look out for that. But I'm excited for this trade and I want to see what the Sixers are going to do. And I just want to segue into Tyson Chandler, the the other pickup the Lakers made. The Lakers have been abysmal. You would say ranked I think 27, 28 in the league in defensive rating. The Lakers are awful. And I was watching on uh uh a podcast this week uh when Earl Watson was on it. Uh, shout, shout out to Joy Taylor. That's Earl that's uh that's Earl Watson's girlfriend. I'm on the podcast, maybe I'm crazy. And Earl mentioned something that's quite interesting looking from the outside in when you watch the lakers play there's one thing that's very very visible that everybody wants to play offense on the lakers and nobody wants to defend there's been multiple times during the season that it frustrates me where lebron james you can literally see he's taking plays off and as a leader of the lakers with all these young guys lebron you ought to take The ship, man, you ought to tell these guys, man, you need to put your foot down, but you got to leave with example on defense, man. You can't be taking plays off and then demand from these players, they're optimal. And that's my issue right now with the Lakers. They're scoring in bunches. They're averaging about 110 points a game, but they're giving up like 113. But since they picked up Tyson Chandler and he played two games, the Lakers have been the best defensive rated team in the NBA when Tyson Chandler's on the floor. Again, it's only two games. It's only a sample size. But just like we talked before, with the Sixers getting, getting Jimmy Butler, they instantly become better defensively, which is something that they need because they also have been struggling on defense. And with the Lakers, it's going to help them a lot. Like I said on my last podcast, to me, coaches don't need to tell you to defend. This is something as a basketball player, you, you need to have it within you. It's It, it needs to be... Something basic. I mean, (laughs) we're here to score buckets. If I stop the other team from scoring, we're going to win. So why is it so difficult for some teams to do this? And that's why it's frustrating to watch the Lakers come up short time and time again because they're not defending, and especially at end of games. And it's also not helping that they're not hitting free throws. But picking up Tyson Chandler and adding him to the lineup, you see how the rotation is different. Luke Walton can run different lineups, it gives him options, but most importantly, with Tyson Chandler on the floor, guys can feel more at ease. When a man blow by them, they know they have someone in the back who can cover them. And Tyson Chandler, when he was in his prime, when he was with the Dallas Mavericks and they won that championship in 2011-2012 versus the Miami Heat, he was a very integral part of stopping that Miami team from getting to the basket. And that's what the Lakers are going to need now. Wait, Well, Tyson is older now. I mean, he's 35 years old now. And um, he's not as fast as he used to be. He's not as athletic as he used to be. But he's a good old veteran that the Lakers need. And I hope that this trade is going to propel them to become one of the best defensive teams in the league. And uh, we'll see what they're going to do. That don't make any sense. I'm a little confused. Fly eagles fly. <laughs> not so much lately with that four and five record. <sighs> well, I just talked about in the NBA about the Sixers and the Lakers how they don't play any defense, man. And <sighs> we want to transition to the Philadelphia Eagles. Disclaimer: They're not my team. I don't root for them at all. I don't have no interest with them. But it's kind of confusing to me, right? How you just beat one of the best teams the NFL has ever seen in the Super Bowl last year in the New England Patriots. And you come out this year, Philadelphia Eagles, and you have a showing of four and five. I know why. Because your head coach is talking about, oh, you guys want to have fun. So over the weekend, the Philadelphia Eagles lost to a team that's, first of all, they're not even going to make the playoffs in the Dallas Cowboys my estimation. And, yes, I know it's a divisional game. People always get hyped up for these games. But Philadelphia has a better roster. They have the better quarterback. the They have the better offensive line. They have the better defense overall. And they just couldn't win. And they were playing at home. So I don't understand how they lost this game. I mean, Dak Prescott, for the first time in a long time, passed for over 200 yards. He had 270 yards, two total touchdowns. Zeke had a total of a hundred and eighty seven yards and two touchdowns. Carson Wentz had three hundred and sixty yards and two touchdowns and a and a mind boggling interception. I don't understand how the, he didn't see that linebacker in the first quarter, like running across the field. But, you know, that's that's a different story. You know, my confusion here is right, why is it that teams think that after you win one championship, that's it? We should all go out and have fun. We should all go sign contracts. We should all go out and, you know, get these endorsements and commercials and not work hard. And that's the problem right there with the Philadelphia Eagles. They don't work hard. This year, they don't work hard. And it all begins with the head coach because the the head coach just had one of the most stupidest, dumbest comments I've heard in a long time. Yes, you won the Super Bowl. You beat Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. But why is it now that It seems that you guys are not working hard. And that's why I can't take the Philadelphia Eagles so serious. New England, they're boring. You don't hear about them a lot. But they won five Super Bowls. Why why did they win five Super Bowls? They won five Super Bowls because they do something that a lot of teams don't do. They act like they have never been there before. Even though they've been there before. And when you act that way, you tend to work Harder. Because you act as if you've never got that before. You never got that feeling. Tom Brady won five Super Bowls. The New England Players have been to the playoffs how many times? We can't even count it. They are the standard in the NFL right now. And the main reason why, like I've said so many times already, they work hard. They Look at the Chiefs. Look at the Chargers. Look at the Steelers. For instance, the Chiefs. The Chiefs don't have a great defense. The Chargers don't have a, a defense. But they work hard. Philadelphia's defense should be top rank five in the NFL right now. They should have like a top-five-ranked defense right now. And they're not. Because, as the saying says, hard work always trump talent. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't work hard, you're not going to make it anywhere. And that's what's so confusing to me about the Philadelphia Eagles right now. They should be running through people. When Carson Wentz got hurt last season, they took their back up, Nick Foles, and they ran through everybody. Like I said, they won the Super Bowl. And now they're just struggling. Most people would say, well, it's a Super Bowl hangover. New England never had a Super Bowl hangover. Matter of fact, they won back-to-back Super Bowls a long time ago. Well, I believe 2001, 2002, they won. They beat. I think they beat uh, the Rams, and then they came back and beat uh, the Eagles the next year. Or the Panthers or the, or the Eagles. I can't remember which one it was. But either which way. They won back-to-back Super Bowls. That's that's not a coincidence. That just don't happen because of luck or because you have talent. That happens because you work hard. And the Philadelphia Eagles, if they want to make it anywhere. If they want to make a decent season out of this season. Because so far, they're not in position to do anything and go anywhere. And especially in the city of Philadelphia where the fans demand perfection. this is This is a disappointment. And again... It baffles me how you're getting paid millions of dollars and you don't have the sense of urgency to to just work hard because you already won. And that leads me to the New Orleans Saints, where it's also confusing, but in a good way. Last year, the New Orleans Saints had one of the best offenses. They have, matter of fact, they have had one of the best offenses for the past decade, even. But their defense have always struggled. Somewhat. And this year the defense have been worse. Especially in the first couple games of the season. You know, they <laughs> the, the Atlanta Falcons almost dropped 50 on them. It wasn't it for the coin flip. They would have lost that game. Um, They they went in week one. I don't remember who they're playing. They got dismantled as well. You know, everybody was talking about, oh, the New Orleans Saints is a big old, big old New Orleans Saints from last year. They're going to score a lot of points, but they can't defend anybody. But this season is quite amazing how they beat the rams at home granted it was in new orleans they exposed the rams defense but also their defense got exposed but one thing we need to put in perspective is the fact that defenses can be as bad they can give up a lot of yards they can give up a lot of points but they make crucial stops when they need to the new england patriots they don't have a great defense matter of fact according to my statistics right now i'm looking at it the 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 New England Patriots are ranked 29th in pass defense and 29th overall. Okay? And New Orleans Saints they're 19 overall defensively. They are 28th in pass defense, which is not not that great, but they're number 1. They are the number 1 rushing defense in the NFL. So that evens out. That pretty much tells you 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 have to pass the ball a lot you have to try to pass the ball and even though you try to run they're only going to allow 3.7 yards to carry and that's that's a recipe for success if you're going to win and that's what New Orleans is doing really well this year their defensive coach is putting players in positions where yes they are giving up yards but they're stopping people when they need to and their run defense is very stingy but this is what it's most amazing this past weekend right The New Orleans Saints, we all know they have that great offense. Against the Bengals, which, by the way, they're ranked 32nd in, like, every defensive category. Uh, Defensive scoring, uh, run defense, pass defense, turnovers created. They're just dead last in the league. New Orleans ran 40 plays in the first half. And they had 21 first downs. (laughs) For every... Other play New Orleans was getting a first down. Like, how do you stop that? It doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> and 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 Michael Thomas, we all know he, he gave that tribute to Joe Horn last week when he when he put the cell phone on a goalpost and all that. And deservingly so, man. Michael Thomas, right now, right now, as of this podcast recording, Drew Brees have thrown to Michael Thomas 87 times, man. He has seventy-eight catches, man. That's eighty-nine percent, eighty-nine percent conversion, and it's not like these are dink and dunks. For those of you who play Madden, you know how you, when you play your opponent, you try to get those quick yards. You just you just throw them for two yards and three yards. No, like the Saints are really going down the field. They're throwing the ball down the field. They're throwing screen passes. They're throwing. They're running the play action. They're going to the second level, and this man is. Converting for 89% of his catches. And not to mention that Drew Brees overall. <laughs> his completion percentage is 77.1 this season. That's above his career average. It's almost 80%. So for every 10 passes, he's converting 8 of them. Man, you know how, you know how ridiculous that is? Chris Carter, Randy Moss in the Hall of Fame. Their conversion is about 70%, 71%. Just let that sink in for a moment, all right? That is what the pace Michael Thomas is on right now this season. 89% conversions, right? So, it's it's in combination with the number one rushing defense, with the number one passing offense, and with the quarterback and coach combination of the New Orleans Saints. It's all about continuity and something you, you listeners have heard me complain about for the past couple of weeks. In Green Bay right now, the continuity is not there. Aaron Rodgers, the best quarterback in the NFL, is having issues with his offense because his coordinator is not, they're not on the same page. His coach is not on the same page. Sean Payton and Drew Brees right now, they have everything going for them, man. The New Orleans Saints, this is a scary team. They are forced to be reckoned with, but at the same time, hey, we're only 10 weeks in. I'm not going to say they are the best team in the NFL, but they are playing like the best team in the NFL. But come playoff... We're going to see what they're really made about. Here's by the numbers. This is your stats of the day. Ah, welcome to the stat of the day. And this week the number is 20. The number 20. And you might wonder how I came up with that number. Well... This past weekend, the uh, Detroit Pistons played the Charlotte Hornets, and Andrew Drummond had another 20-rebound game. So it made me want to go all the way back and revisit in history back in the 1960s. But then I also want to fast forward to you guys from the day I was born, because I did one of these... In, in the previous episodes with uh, with how many teams won 100-plus games from when I was born, which is 1985. But I want to start from 1984. But before we do that, let's go back to the 1960s. You guys remember a guy called Will Chamberlain? Who is, in my estimation, one of the top two greatest rebounders of all time, him and Bill Russell? But there's this other guy, which I'm going to mention his name pretty soon, that had a pretty remarkable seven-year stretch in having 20 rebound games. Alright, and his name is Dennis Rodman. Wilt Chamberlain, for his career, for his entire career, averaged 22.9 rebounds a game. So you know he was just grabbing 20 rebounds a game, just period. But over this seven-year stretch, I don't think there has ever been one of the greatest rebounding performances ever. Since 1984, Dennis Rodman has had 159 20-rebound games. And you know who was in second place? Dwight Howard with 77 and at number 3 that's Charles Barkley with 55. If you combine Dwight and Charles Barkley together, it's just 132 games. <laughs> that's that's what? Uh, 27 more 20 rebound games than anyone else this guy Dennis Rodman put up. If you if you even extend that to 25 plus rebound games, Dennis Rodman has 33 No other player since 1984 has more than seven, right? In fact, if you add up the number two guy and the number three guy, which is Dwight Howard, Charles Barkley, number four, the number five, and the number six guy, they still have less 25-plus rebound games than Dennis Rodman. (laughs) You know how ridiculous that is? Dennis Rodman also got all 33 of those, like I said, in a seven-year stretch. By far, by far to me, the seven years, the greatest rebounding stretch of all time. Matter of fact, at the beginning of this segment, I said that Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell might be the greatest rebounders ever. But if you really think about it, Dennis Rodman just might be in that conversation as the greatest rebounder. Dennis Rodman's only six, seven. Six, seven guys now are playing guards and point guards, they're playing shooting guards and point guards. Dennis Rodman was pulling down 20 rebounds like it was nothing at 6'7 back in his day in the 1990s and the mid-80s. So just think about that. Look how ridiculous that is, man. So just imagine Dennis played back in the 60s. He probably averaged like 60 rebounds a game. I mean, not that much, but you get my vibe. My goodness, Dennis Rodman, man, kudos to you. That was your stat of the day, guys. It in context, Billy. Tell the whole story. When things are going great, everybody can be a leader and a front runner. But when things are going wrong, who shows up then? And that's a question we need to ask ourselves in sports, and especially this fall season, this NBA season, this NFL season. We've seen some things that I want to. You know, put a bow on that I already talked about. In the beginning of this episode, I talked about Jimmy Butler and his leadership abilities being questioned in Chicago and Minnesota. And then in previous episodes, I talked about Le'Veon Bell and his contract. When things are going great for the Pittsburgh Steelers, not, nothing was talked about money. Jimmy Butler always wanted money, but it was never a talk of the media when everything was going well in Minnesota. But let's, but let's backtrack to Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell, everyone knows he's holding out, he don't want to show up to the Steelers because what? He felt disrespected. If you guys didn't know in the NFL you can franchise tag a player when you're still negotiating a contract, pretty much. If you don't want to if you feel like if the team feels like they don't they don't want to pay the player or they want to negotiate with the player with a particular contract they're asking for, they just hit him with the franchise tag. And Le'Veon been franchise tagged twice. And he feels disrespected, so he's not showing up to camp. He's telling me he doesn't care about his money because it's all about the principle by not showing up. That's how I see it, but it makes me question. Sure, every man respects his money. Everybody cares about their pocketbook. I get it, but in that Steelers locker room, who's leading it? Everyone says it's the coach, Mac Tomlin, but that locker room has been in shambles for years, man. With the Big Bang incident, with the Big Ben incident, right? Not Big Bang Theory, but Big Ben. Ben Roethlisberger and his issues, the offensive line, current issues with Le'Veon Bell, him not showing out to camp, him not telling them whether they're going to show up or not. So who's, leadi- who's leading this pack? Who's really leading this team? And then we go to the NBA. You look at Jimmy Butler. He's always been questioned. His leadership has always been questioned. In the Chicago Bulls, it was questioned. In the Minnesota Timberwolves now, it's been questioned. It almost became a wreckage for that entire team. Jimmy was questioning whether players was working hard or not. Look, I'm not saying... You can't question players and question their 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 work ethic. I'm not saying you can't do that. But when everything was going right, we didn't hear Jimmy say anything. Maybe he was, but in the media, we weren't talking about it. So what's the deal now? Who's leading the Minnesota Timberwolves? They say it should be Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau has experience. But what's the issue in Minnesota? Who's really leading the team? Again, when the Timberwolves were making the playoffs, when they were performing really well, when Cat was drafted, they had high hopes things were going okay. We won't hear no problems. Again, everyone can be a leader when everything's going great. Everyone can be a front runner. But when things go bad, who's there to show up? And it leads me to say, this is why the New England Patriots are the best sports organization ever. Yeah, just like any other franchise, they struggled. But when they got it together, when things were not good, when things were going well, one thing was consistent. One thing was really consistent. Leadership. It starts from the top of the organizations all the way down to the water boy. Everybody is on the same page in New England. Not everybody is on the same page in Minnesota. When Kevin Garnett was there in Minnesota, things were going well. When Shaq and Kobe were there, there was a little turmoil. Things didn't go right from the beginning, but they stuck to it. They won championships. LeBron James, at the beginning of his career, his leadership was questioned. He was a great teammate, but but when things weren't going right, what was questioned about him? His leadership. Look at him now. LeBron admitted himself. He almost blew up because the Lakers started this season awfully. They didn't defend well. They're still not defending that well. And LeBron almost didn't have any patience for this. I get it. He's at the end of his career. He's Yes, he's still in his prime. He's still at the end of his career. He's 33 going on 34. This is not going to last much longer. So gonna, you're going to lose your patience. Why do you think he left Cleveland the first time and went to Miami? Things weren't going that well. And his leadership was questioned, man. And to me, we ought to keep this in perspective. We look across all sports, and especially now. You have to really start thinking about I know a lot of us look for inspiration into our favorite players, our favorite teams. But if you want some real guidance, look at the teams that you don't necessarily pay attention to and look at the ones that are consistently successful. The one thing that is consistent and the one thing that I like to say that They keep in context. They just don't worry about, hey, let's see what we do when we're winning. They worry about when they're not doing well, what direction their teams are going in, what direction their players are going in. And in your life, that's what you need to do as well. Who are you when things are not going your way? Ah, guys, that was amazing, man. I hope hope you guys uh, learned something from that keeping in context segment, man. That's something I've been pondering all week and something I had to share. Hey, that's why that podcast exists for me to just share my thoughts and ideas. And I appreciate you guys listening to those thoughts and ideas and leaving your feedback. But for now, guys, you know, episode 11 is in the books. I also want to give you guys a heads up um, next year, the beginning of next year. We're going to start having our Q&A's at the beginning and the end of the month. I'll let you guys know um, on Instagram and Facebook, so just look out for that. Uh, also, we're going to have some interesting guests, some other uh, ESPN uh, figures. We're also going to have some athletes on there. Also, again, look on in our Instagram page, on my Twitter page, if you haven't followed already, on Duffis Boy on Twitter, and Statman Sports Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Follow all those pages, and you'll get all the information needed. Also, guys, before I let you go, remember, our store is online, store.statmanpodcast.com. A lot of you have bought some t-shirts, so I appreciate that support. For all the old listeners and the new listeners, thank you for being here. And I'll see you next week. But for now, Statman, signing out. Thanks for listening to the Statman Sports Podcast. See you next time.